One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is an apostrophe podcast production. Here is one little question that has no simple answer. How does being alone bring us closer? My name is Peg Falk. I'm a journalist and an educator. Come join me as we explore loneliness together. You might get a little bored with this episode, and that would be a good thing. One of the most famous sculptures of all time was originally named The Poet and was intended to be a meditation of the gates of hell. Instead, the thinker, as it became known, has become a studied contemplation of whatever personal hell the observer of the piece is thinking. Solitude. Loneliness. Boredom. Boredom has a purpose, but most of us are likely just thinking that we're very bored these days. And if you are, it might help to know that your boredom is interesting to researchers trying to understand it. Because the study of boredom can actually teach us so much. Before the pandemic, the reaction that psychologist Erin Westgate always received when she told people about her research was predictable. They thought what she was doing was boring. When I used to tell people that I study boredom, they would laugh. Like, even very serious academics couldn't suppress a little bit of a giggle at, like, the idea of studying boredom. And now when I tell people I study boredom, they kind of get this like very serious tone or expression. And they're like, oh yes, this is important. Tell me more. Also, like, can you solve my boredom? Boredom is stigmatized in our culture. It's associated with childishness, immaturity, a lack of focus. 
We are a society that places a premium on agency and energy and productivity. And we shun the idea that people, whether grown-ups or children, should sit around and be bored. The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People has sold 25 million copies. The Seven Habits of Highly Bored People? Well, I'm still getting around to researching and writing that book. There is no fear of missing out when you see people posting photos of themselves on Instagram being bored. Erin Westgate, who teaches at the University of Florida, didn't start her career intending to study boredom. In fact, she began her research studying how to enrich our lives and be happier. The foundation in how influencers on social media bring out our fears of missing out when we see other people living these perfect lives. Westgate's purpose was to try to find the key to how we could be more effective if we could just use our minds to think good thoughts. This went terribly wrong, but we were looking at whether we could make people's lives better and happier by teaching them to sort of use their mind to daydream and have pleasant thoughts. So we all have moments when we're stuck in traffic or, you know, you're in a boring meeting or whatever, where it'd be nice, you know, if you could like watch television, but why should we need television when we have this great big brain in our heads? And so we thought, okay, we'll just bring people into the lab and tell them we want you to enjoy being alone with your thoughts now and and it will be great. And it, (laughs) it wasn't, it was a mess. Now, if I, from here, was to tell you, through your ears, to imagine a happy moment in your life, that would just be a direct appeal from me to you. But science operates differently. Westgate and her collaborators had to do this in a lab environment to demonstrate how the process worked. What they quickly realized was getting people in a lab to just sit and think was hell for many. Asked to just enjoy your own thoughts is somewhat enjoyable, but is mostly also very boring. People are willing to do anything but. Instead of being alone with their own thoughts, people would rather listen to terrible noises or even give themselves electric shocks. Instead of asking participants to be alone with their thoughts, Westgate realized that what she should really be trying to understand is, what is it about being alone with only our own thoughts that's so boring for us? Rewind that even more. Instead of just thoughts, what makes anything boring? Why do we get bored? What happens when we do and how do we fix it? If we understand how boredom works, then maybe we can go back and actually teach people to enjoy their own thoughts. And that will hopefully lead us to enjoy our lives a little bit more. If you're boring someone right in front of you, there are ways you can tell. Their eyes wander. They might blink a lot. They don't listen. They yawn. I'm a teacher. I see this a lot. If you're driving and you're bored, you might turn up the music or crack open the window. 
Or you might scroll through your social media feed if you are just bored and waiting for something to happen. Then there are some people who say they never get bored. But what these people have done is they've structured their lives in such a way that they are really good at recognizing when they begin to feel bored. They react to it and find ways out of their boredom before it takes hold in such a way that it's hard to break out of it. There are two commonly used scales of measuring boredom. One is the Boredom Proneness Scale, BPS. And there is the Boredom Susceptibility Scale, known as the ZBS. Those who had higher scores in BPS, the Proneness Scale, had higher levels in anxiety, depression, dysphoria, and emotional eating. These were inwardly directed. Those who scored higher in the Susceptibility Scale had higher levels of outwardly directed issues, motor impulsivity, and higher sensitivity to gambling and alcohol use. So what can we learn from boredom? One simple answer is it pushes us to explore our world. If our ancestors never ventured outside their environment or been driven to do things they had never done before, we wouldn't have harnessed fire or peeled an ugly-looking black thing to learn that the green flesh is an edible avocado. As an evolved species who likes guacamole, humans needed boredom to manipulate the familiar. But there are adaptive and maladaptive consequences of boredom. Let's look at the maladaptive side. In 2019, for one example of a bad consequence, a shop in a UK town burned down after two workers set fire to a mouse in an attempt to have a mock cremation ceremony. The judge called what they did an act of sheer stupidity. The defendant's excuse? They were bored. But also, on the other hand, what might have happened if Jimi Hendrix continued to play in the only safe venues for African-American performers at the time before the civil rights movement? When blues guitarist Mike Bloomfield first heard Jimi Hendrix play in New York, he asked the former side guitarist for the Isley Brothers and Little Richard where he had been hiding. Hendrix said he had been playing the Chitlin circuit and was bored out of his mind, so he had to venture beyond. Neuroscientist James Dankert calls that example as one that demonstrates how agency works. He and co-author psychologist John Eastwood of York University used the example of Jimi Hendrix in their new book about boredom called Out of Our Skulls. People can choose to adapt or not, to find bigger venues or stay in the Chitlin circuit. Dankert, who has a lab at the University of Waterloo, first became interested in boredom out of a personal connection. His older brother had a serious motor vehicle crash when he was 20. In the course of his recovery, he experienced more boredom than he had before his severe brain trauma. 
From that personal observation, Dankert, who was just starting his studies in neuropsychology, began asking other people who had suffered brain injuries if they felt more bored after their traumatic accident. And they didn't just say yes. They all said yes in a really excited and enthusiastic way, as if this was the first time anybody had ever asked them about this really important change in their life. Research into how our brains react and respond to boredom is still in its early stages. In a lab environment, scientists like Professor Dankert can actually track boredom by measuring brain activities using a functional MRI of where the cerebral blood flows. When they're bored, we see activation in a network known as the default mode network. Now, this is a group of brain areas that are typically activated when you don't have anything in the external world to do. There's no events out there in the world that you are needing to interact with right now. The default mode network is activated when people are in daydreaming mode or their mind is wandering, and it leads to boredom. Sadness has been around. Loneliness has been around. Boredom, as we might define it today, though, is a fairly modern concept. It's been called ennui by the French and derived from the Latin word for annoyed. Philosophers have used terms like lethargy and melancholy for centuries to describe a similar state. Lord Byron, in his 1823 poem Don Juan, made a distinction between bores, those who bore others, and bored, those who are bored by them. Society is now one polished horde, he wrote, formed of two mighty tribes, the bores and bored. It was Charles Dickens who popularized the word in his novel Bleak House. It originally ran as a serial in installments over a 20-month period. From March of 1852 until September 1853, readers were kept in suspense as chapters dribbled out, appropriate for a novel that is all about waiting. The central plot in Bleak House is about a legal case involving a will that has been unresolved for generations, which has kept scores of characters waiting for the outcome and the payout. Perhaps boredom is so prevalent for so many of us these days because we have gotten out of the habit of waiting. Our expectation is always faster resolution. Comedian Ronnie Chang says we have become emperors in this age of Amazon, where no item is so trivial like a pen that we expect it to be delivered right to us, right now. As soon as we press, buy. We feel trapped in boredom, but maybe what we are is just unused to waiting. That's according to University of Calgary classics professor Peter Tuhi who wrote a book about the history of boredom. In his new book called Hold On, which is about waiting, Professor Tuhi says the outcome is what matters, and that has an effect on how we cope with the boredom of waiting. So a person waits for something, they're expecting it, and if it happens, and if it's pleasurable, they'll register a reward in their brain, and they'll look for a repetition of that in the future. In other words, if you knew that a parcel of brown paper packages was going to be filled with great things, 
knowing that you are going to get a parcel on a certain date doesn't feel boring. But just waiting when you don't know the outcome is boring. The chemical in our brain, dopamine, which is linked to reward, is activated when we know there's something at the end of waiting that is pleasurable rather than the default mode that leads to being alone with your own thoughts. We get bored because we haven't learned that waiting is, in some sense, agency and control. And boredom leads to loneliness on that side of the spectrum of our emotions. Because, as Professor Chuhi says, there isn't an immediate reward. During that 20-month waiting period, readers were captivated with the plot of Bleak House. They might have been desperate to know what happened to Joe or Esther Summerson, but they knew there was another chapter and then another chapter and finally an ending. They had no way of getting to the point they wanted to get to, so they had no choice but to wait. Today, if we want to know the ending, we just scroll to the last chapter. The final moments of a podcast, we binge watch. Is Adnet Syed guilty? What happened to Tony Soprano? We don't need to wait to know. Researchers don't wait for people to get bored in order to study them. To understand boredom, neuroscientists like James Dankert and psychologists like Aaron Westgate need to manufacture it first and then observe and track its progress. In Dankert's lab, he was looking for ways to bore participants in order to monitor their brain activity during the moments of boredom. In one experiment, they tracked the difference between what happens when someone reads a passage from Harry Potter's Goblet of Fire and then reads another book called The Elements of the Nature and Properties of Soil, the Student Value Edition. Unsurprisingly, people were more bored by reading about soil. No offense to all the pedologists out there. They also monitor how the brain responds to boredom and how that is different than when they feel other emotions like sadness. They do this experiment by having people watch videos. But they had trouble finding the right one to represent boredom. One was a traffic circle with cars just going around and around. A second video that was considered was a guy mowing his lawn, and you can only see him from the chest down. He mows very methodically. The problem with those videos is that they didn't have any people in them, really. The guy mowing the lawn, you couldn't see his face. And we were comparing a condition in which we made people bored with videos to a condition in which we made people sad. They found a perfect video from graduate student Colleen Merrifield, one that was especially designed to bore people. In the video, two men in a windowless white room with nothing on the walls silently take clothes from a pile between them and start hanging the clothes on a rack. First, one of them considers a towel. The other drapes a camisole over the rack. That's 23 seconds in. The video goes on for 300 or so seconds Often for the experiment, it's put on a loop for eight minutes or more. 
Occasionally, one man asked the other for a clothespin. To compare, they had to induce another reaction. The video they chose for that comparison to see how the brain changes from sadness to boredom was showing participants a clip from the 1970s movie The Champ. And we'll be right back. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When Erin Westgate began asking participants in her study to rank boredom using a nine-point scale, with nine being extremely boring and one being not boring at all, most of the answers ranged in the middling five mark. People weren't super bored, but they were not not bored. The results didn't yield much information. But then she and her collaborators came up with the idea of rather or. That is, what would people want to do instead of being bored? Would you rather eat a snack or sit and enjoy your own thoughts? Or would you hate being bored so much that you would actually hurt yourself? At the extreme level, is pain better than boredom? 
we really had no strong sense of what was going to happen. And that's what I love about it. Some of us thought that everyone would shock themselves. Some of us thought the entire study was bonkers. Like no one's going to shock themselves. And it turned out that, that people were willing to do it. Now, if this was a Charles Dickens serial, we won't know the answer until next month. But would people administer pain to themselves rather than be bored? It's not, it turns out, that extreme a possibility. 67% of the men in the study and 25% of women chose to shock themselves at least once rather than just simply sitting and being alone with their own thoughts. Doing something when you're bored is often better than doing nothing, even if that something isn't great, like an electric shock. Boredom can spark action, even if it's negative and positive. You are more likely to support charities if you're bored because you have an urge to find meaning. Research has shown over and over again that when we're bored, we seek connections and some way to meaningfully engage. Bored people having to decide punishment for people who committed a crime are more likely to give tougher sentences to those who they perceive to be outside of their group and more lenient sentences to those who they identify as being part of their own group. We eat when we're bored. We shop when we're bored. Chronically bored people exhibit higher risk-taking behavior, more prone to drug use or other addictions like compulsive gambling and alcoholism or eating disorders. But it can even drive responses that might be unexpected. In a study that started before the pandemic, but has some interesting alignment to life during quarantine, participants were asked to go into two rooms. In one room, there were items like laptops or games. In another room, there was nothing. Participants in both rooms were asked to just be, again, alone, with only their own thoughts. If you were in the room with high potential for distractions like a laptop or games, but you couldn't use any of those items, you actually reported higher levels of boredom than those who were in the room where there was no possibility of activities. That relationship might tell us a lot about why in a lockdown we feel more bored. We know there are things that we could be doing, but knowing we can't, triggers higher levels of boredom. Boredom might even play a role in how we elect politicians because it can change our tendency to entrench our political beliefs. One study from King's College London and the University of Limerick found that boredom can lead to even more extreme political views. Expressing political ideas or being connected to a particular political ideology is one way people can gain a sense of purpose. The study participants, university students, were asked to first indicate whether they considered themselves liberal or conservative, and then they were randomly assigned to do boring tasks. The more bored the participants were, the more extreme they were in their political views afterwards. And some new findings out of that research seems to indicate that boredom makes commitment to your political ideology stronger for those who identify on the right than on the left. 
did that have an impact on the political election in the U.S.? Well, it might have depended on just how bored voters were. Boredom has many sides and names meaning the same thing. Sameness, indifference, apathy, feeling trapped, confinement. Neuroscientist James Dankert likes this definition from the Russian novel Anna Karenina. It is the desire for desires. If you don't have people to interact with, you're going to feel lonely and bored because we are social beasts. We need to interact with one another. Boredom is a signal between two competing drives that all humans have, exploration and exploitation. If you've exploited whatever you have right now, whether it's doing the same tasks over and over again or remaining in a job or a relationship that doesn't seem too exciting, is it time to explore other options? One possible antidote to boredom could be just letting our minds wander and not really worry too much about the kind of thoughts we're having. Aaron Westgate, the psychology professor, says one of the reasons why it's important to understand boredom is that it helps us know how to get out of the boredom that is negative. Start by recognizing a key difference. Is something boring because it is meaningless to you? Whether it is a task that is not challenging enough, or are you bored because something has no value in your estimation? The options to address that are different. If you find it boring to do gardening, for example, because you see no point in investing time in flowers that die every year, could switching to a vegetable plot or maybe growing herbs be more interesting to you? Or if you spend Monday morning having the same meeting with the same people every single week, can you shorten that meeting from one hour to seven minutes? The easiest option is, if something is boring, stop doing it. The idea there is that what you're doing right now, boredom tells you, look, you're not meaningfully engaged in this. It's not meaningful. It's not engaging. Try something else and maybe it will be a better fit for you. So you can switch to something that's a better sort of challenge for you in the moment. Or you can do both. You know, if you ever get up because you're working on like your taxes or something you don't want to be doing, and it's really complicated, and then you go, you know, turn on the music and dance or whatever, you're switching from something that wasn't very meaningful and might be too challenging to something that is a good fit and that is meaningful to you. And that's sort of what boredom is intended to do as an emotion. It helps redirect us to engage meaningfully in our lives. Philosopher Blaise Pascal traced humankind's problems to a singular idea, not being able to sit alone with your own thoughts. If you think of boredom and loneliness as being on the same spectrum as researchers like James Dankert does, the other end of that spectrum is engagement. In normal pre-pandemic times, that might mean socializing with others and being engaged with something externally. But it could also mean, especially during times of isolation or loneliness, being engaged internally. When we become hyper-focused and able to concentrate on something like meditation, the rest of the world can seem to fall away. 
That deep kind of meditation is supposed to get you in the zone or a flow state. Also on that spectrum of engagement, a 180 from boredom is curiosity. And James Dankert says, while it's not a cure, activating and cultivating curiosity can move us away from that end of the spectrum where sadness and boredom and loneliness lie. You can't easily be bored and curious at the same time. So if you can cultivate curiosity for the world around you, you're not likely to be as bored as often. Um, curiosity sort of operates in some way as a sort of pre-interest mechanism. You get curious about something and then maybe that curiosity leads to being fully engaged with it. And so now you want to sort of learn more. Become interested in something. That pre-interest may lead you to become curious and then engaged in something. For those who suffered a brain trauma, the mere recognition that boredom was real was enough to get them excited about something new. And as Aaron Westgate's experiments show, sitting and remembering or imagining happy things isn't like switching on a television in our brains. Being alone with our own thoughts is difficult for many of us. We will be tempted to press that button and give ourselves a shot of electricity. But that jolt can move us away from the side of the spectrum where helplessness, hopelessness, loneliness, and boredom lie. And towards the region where curiosity and exploration can open up something new and interesting that holds our attention and make us want to explore more. We may be alone, but we are alone together. Alone Together was directed by Callie O'Reilly. Theme music by Ian Lefevre and Ari Posner. Sound engineer, Jeff Devine. Produced by Debbie O'Reilly and Guillermo Serrano. I'm Peg Fong, the writer and host. Let's be social. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ApostrophePod. This series is executive produced by Terry O'Reilly. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.